There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. A biblical slaughter is underway in Palestine, in Gaza, in East Jerusalem, and in the West Bank, closely followed by other horsemen of the apocalypse. The risk of fatal epidemic of disease is now a major threat to the health and the well-being of millions of people whose responsibility is ours as the international community over an illegally, militarily occupied territory. And a biblical famine is close on the heels of that as the Palestinian people 60% of whose homes have been destroyed, 75% of whom are now displaced people, again, inside their own tiny concentration camp called the Gaza Strip. Mass murder on the West Bank. Hundreds have been murdered by settlers and soldiers in the West Bank of the River Jordan. And the Western politicians are recklessly pursuing it, even to the detriment of their own prospects of re-election. Oh, and terrorism is beginning to break out in Europe as furious, maniacal terrorists stab people in Western capitals. Well, I'm not sure there's any good news after that, but we'll try to analyse, dive deep, so that you at least understand what's happening and why. It's the mother of all talk shows. You are listening to the mother of all talk shows podcast with George Galloway. Mind you, the fighting is going both ways. Very substantial losses have been incurred by the Israel invasion force inside Gaza. Video has emerged, but not on your mainstream television screen, of up to 70 dead Israeli soldiers caught in an ambush by Palestinian fighters defending the benighted Gaza Strip. And the Yemeni, Ansar Allah, are fighting the Israeli naval and other uh, civilian shipping going through the Red Sea. There are reports tonight, in fact, that an American warship has been hit by the army of the free people of the Yemen, and that a British warship has been damaged. That's not confirmed, but what is confirmed is that two Israeli ships were successfully attacked by Ansarullah naval and ground batteries firing upon them in the Red Sea. Drones, even a cruise missile, have been deployed against that shipping. It will shortly be impossible for Israeli shipping anywhere in the Red Sea, still less in the Straits of Hormuz. The insurance costs will balloon. The economic punishment being suffered by the people of Israel as their economy tanks as a result of this massive mobilization of 165,000 Israeli reservists and the cost, despite the benefaction of the United States and others, is growing, and not just growing in terms of cash. I have to make this point to you, it's a melancholy task, but only 2% of the Israeli public think that the Israeli armed forces are going too far in Gaza. In fact, fewer than 2%, one 0.8% to be exact. Most of those polled believe that Israel should be hitting Gaza harder. And the middle strata in Israeli opinion is that they're getting it just about right. Ergo, do not think for one minute that this biblical Old Testament slaughter is going to be stopped by the people of Israel. Don't think 
that by removing Netanyahu, you will solve this problem. I'm sorry that that's the case. I wish it were otherwise. But if you read, as I do, religiously, Gideon Levy in the Haaretz newspaper, you know just how bleak the situation is amongst the Israeli public. And no amount of international opprobrium, even hatred, mounting all over the world is going to move them. We've got a poll running. What would stop Israel from continuing this slaughter? And it's actually fairly evenly divided between ethnic cleansing, genocide, and an order from Biden. So I'm going to concentrate on Biden and on Rishi Sunak and on Sir Keir Starmer and on the other European leaders without whose support this could not be happening. If we cannot look to the Israeli public to bring it to an end, we have to look to our own governments and therefore our own public if this is going to stop short of ethnic cleansing, short of genocide. I'll have something to say in a moment about the prospects of ethnic cleansing and the prospects of genocide. But let me just begin to count the cost for us and for our leaders. Terrorist outrages are beginning to occur. One appears to be underway in the city of Paris right at this minute. Others are reported from, uh, from uh, Dublin and many other places around Europe. I want to ask our leaders and their mouthpieces in the mass media, just how radical do you think Muslims in Western countries are feeling right now? You spent billions on de-radicalization, on prevent, on a whole panoply of schemes to try and draw the sting out of the hatred that existed in Muslim communities after the Iraq war, most of which miserably failed and were poorly targeted, even more poorly executed. But just how radicalized do you think young Muslims in Britain, in France, in the United States are feeling right now, as they see, as we see, and they see it almost to a man and a woman. Many of our people, it would appear, completely ignore, turn the page, walk by on the other side of the road, but no Muslim in the West is doing that. Not a single Muslim in any of our countries is anything other than acutely aware of the horrific genocidal carnage which has been unleashed over the last 57 days. We may think that they are somehow unmoved by 6,800 children being slaughtered and not just quietly euthanized, not put to sleep, but being ripped apart, their limbs torn from them their heads decapitated. All of that is available online as it needs to be, and every Muslim has seen it. So in those circumstances, what do you expect to happen in the course of this and in the aftermath of this? I have spent my life trying to provide a democratic alternative to the siren voices of extremism and radicalism that are there on the rocks of the Muslim community seeking, like sirens, to draw people onto those rocks. I'm beginning to feel that I wasted my time, that I wasted my breath, because when push comes to shove, our governments are perfectly happy to slaughter Muslims abroad in the interests of the empire, in the interests of the sentinel of the empire, otherwise known as the state of Israel. How else can you explain? There's a statement out from the Palestinian resistance this evening, attacking Britain. Why? Because the Royal Air Force has now admitted that it is flying reconnaissance missions 
over the Gaza Strip and handing the intelligence thereby gained directly to the Israeli military. This is an act of war by the people of Balfour, by the people who authored this catastrophe in the first place. So Britain has joined the war. The United States has been in the war from day one. There's no hiding place from that. And so we, our government, has made our country and our people a target for retribution, for terrorist attack and harm to our people, even though our people were never consulted about our government's action. We did not authorize the use of our base in Cyprus for an endless shuttle of military traffic from Cyprus to Tel Aviv. We did not authorize. Parliament was not even told that the Royal Air Force had now directly entered the war with these reconnaissance overflights on behalf of the Israeli armed forces. But our people will be the ones who pay the price because terrorism targets not the guilty men. Terrorism targets soft targets, innocent people. I was the member of parliament for the Royal London Hospital, for the Aldgate East Underground Station. I was there and saw the broken and bloodied and murdered victims of the horrific terrorist attacks in 2005, 7-7-2005. I saw the doctors and nurses running around their uniforms, their tunics, their aprons, running with blood as a result of these terrorist outrages that took place that day. That's the era that we have now re-entered as a result, not just of our Prime Minister, but of our leader of the opposition. I'll turn to the United States in just a minute. But one of the extraordinary things when the history of this comes to be written is the reckless abandon with which our leaders have deserted not only our own people and their safety, but their own electoral prospects. Who's going to vote for Keir Starmer in the London mayoral election? Who's going to vote for Keir Starmer in more than 50 constituencies across Britain with a number of Muslims alone, never mind all the other people who are devastated by what is happening? Who's going to vote for Keir Starmer? Why has he done this? Why has he committed what might turn out to be electoral suicide to prove just how unequivocal his devotion to Zionism and to Israel is? What kind of politics is this? We're used to politicians that don't care about us. We've now got politicians that don't even care about their own prospects of being elected. Maybe they think there are no alternatives to voting for them. But I'm here to assure them that there definitely, absolutely will be alternatives in those constituencies and in the London mayoral election. Joe Biden has committed political suicide with this. He was already on a very sticky wicket trying to defeat Donald Trump, but he has thrown away tens and tens and tens of areas of the United States where people are burning mad at what the United States is doing and arming and funding and facilitating in every way these grotesque crimes that we are all now seeing more or less live more or less in real time, we can see the children wailing as they see the bodies of their mothers and their fathers, 
parents wailing, rending their garments as they see the bodies of their own children. We can see the people still trapped under the rubble of the 1,000 who were killed in the last 36 hours. Most of them are under the rubble and many of them will never be able to be dug up from the rubble. So dangerous is the situation for rescue workers, for medical teams. They had to abandon their efforts yesterday to try and rescue. People just were left to bleed out and die. Well, there's a new campaign launched today called Abandon Biden. And I'm sorry if you're a supporter of the Democratic Party, but your goose is cooked. You are toast. You are a dead parrot. Joe Biden will never be re-elected as a result of the conduct of his government in this catastrophe. The state of Michigan will be a landslide against Joe Biden. There are millions of Muslims in America, almost all of whom used to vote for the Democratic Party, but no more. And there are millions of others in America, non-Muslims, who cannot stomach this slaughter any longer. And I, I'm one of them. For the first time tonight, I reposted a scene that I could not myself personally watch. For the first time, I just couldn't take it anymore. But the fact that I didn't watch it doesn't wipe from my memory what is happening, and it will not be wiping yours. So Joe Biden and Keir Starmer have committed political suicide. Why? In support of Israel? A small country, thousands of miles away, with a population of seven millions? What does Israel have on these people? Is that what it is? I, I, I cannot fathom why Biden and Starmer have done what they have done. There's no votes in it. There's no money in it. Israel doesn't give people money. Israel takes money from people. So if there's no votes in it and no money in it, why are these hirelings, these political prostitutes who are up for the highest bidder ordinarily, why are they doing this? They're going to pay a high price, just like the European economies have paid a high price for a war in Ukraine that they now admit they have lost. The rivals of President Zelensky are queuing up to give interviews about how he is finished. His own wife said she doesn't want him to run again for another term as president another term as president, he'll be lucky to get out of Ukraine alive. Klitschko, the mayor of Kiev, accused him yesterday of having turned the Ukraine into a tyranny, a dictatorship. Klitschko says the question is not whether Zelensky will survive, but whether Ukraine will continue to exist at the end of all this. Arestovich and others that were in the negotiations in Turkey, have testified that a peace deal was there on the table, ready to be signed, acceptable to the Ukrainian negotiators, until Boris Johnson, bringing a message, no doubt, from Joe Biden, told them that we must fight on. Of course, Boris Johnson never fought anybody in his puff, maybe his fag at Eton, but no more than that. Boris Johnson told the Ukrainians to fight to the last drop of their blood, and that last drop is almost upon us. Ukraine is now sending not just women 
to the front line. But pregnant women to the front line. One of them was pictured this week being rescued and tended to by Russian soldiers when she fell into their hands, visibly pregnant and in uniform and with a weapon. Half of the mobilizable males in the Ukraine have fled the country and are living as refugees if they're poor and living the life of kings in Marbella and other flesh pots around Europe if they've got money, if their fathers are in the Ukrainian elite. Suicide it was. Germany has committed political and economic suicide for Joe Biden. What's the explanation for that? What's the explanation for the fact that you will now be arrested on the streets of Berlin for wearing a kofia? It is now a criminal offence in Berlin, so to do. We showed you last week, outside the town hall in Berlin, there's an Israeli flag, four Ukrainian flags, and one German flag. What's the reason for this national suicide that our countries and our leaders seem busily embarked upon? I don't know. I'm not a psychologist. I couldn't begin to analyze it. Sometimes I have the darkest possible thoughts that it's all deliberate. They want our societies to collapse into violence and disarray, that they want hostility on our own streets. Maybe they even want the kind of terrorist attacks that are beginning now to break out in Europe. But I don't know, because I can't work out what conceivably could be the reason for this political suicide, for this national suicide. All I know is this. We've only got roughly one political freedom left. And that political freedom is the freedom to vote. And if you vote these criminals back in again, frankly, we deserve everything that's going to be coming our way. You have to take 20, they said that uh, 1848 was the year of revolutions. 2024 is the year of elections. There are elections everywhere in 2024, in Britain, in the United States, and around the European continent. We have to take this opportunity. It's our last chance. It's our last chance to stop these people in their tracks. And if we don't take it, then it's good night, Irene, for Western countries, for Western society. We'll be talking to two top guests this evening. Arab Barghouti, a great hit when he appeared here a few weeks ago, the son of Palestine's national hero, Nelson Mandela of Palestine, Marwan Barghouti. Arab Barghouti is his son. He has nothing to do with Hamas. He has everything to do with resistance to the calamity that has befallen all of his country and all of his people. And I, for one, look forward to hearing from him. And we'll be talking to the brightest star that has arisen amongst the firmament of stars on social media from the United States, the one and only Jackson Hinkle. So fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night because this is the mother of all talk shows. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. 
There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. You are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway. Arabarguti uh, is, uh, as I said earlier, uh, from one of the leading families of resistance to Israeli occupation and aggression, of endless war and massacre, and he is one of the most eloquent voices that we could possibly find in Palestine to talk about what's happening. Arab Barghouti, welcome back to the mother of all talk shows. Let's start with, if we can, the extent to which uh, this assault, this crazed assault uh, on Gaza and in the West Bank is being opposed. I talked earlier about substantial losses suffered by the Israeli armed forces. And I've seen footage from Jenin, from Jericho, uh, of, uh, of Palestinians resisting uh, the ethnic cleansing that's going on in the West Bank. Paint that picture for us, if you will. Well, thank you so much, George, for having me again. And uh, I, I think to start with, uh, the Israeli uh, government is uh, clearly uh, using the fact that everyone is uh, busy with their slaughtering and massacre, ma- massacres and genocide in Gaza uh, to use that to do whatever they want in the West Bank. Uh, in the West Bank, things are getting worse every single day. Uh, in uh, in Jenin, we saw uh, the raid of uh, Jenin refugee camp and of Jenin city and uh, uh, killing uh, left, right and center uh, people. Uh, we, we saw the killing of uh, children in the West Bank. We, sh- we saw the detention of the mass detention and the arbitrary arrest of, of thousands of people since October the 7th in, in the West Bank. Because I think the Israeli government is very clear about what they're doing against the Palestinians. They uh, tried to ethnically cleanse uh, the uh, Palestinians in Gaza, and that didn't succeed because uh, Egypt did not uh, accept to open the borders. So they started with the genocide. And uh, they thought that uh, since the whole world is busy with Gaza, let us just complete our mission of the West Bank, because this is a project that has been happening for decades now. If you look at the settlements of uh, the Israelis inside the West Bank, it's a clear proof that the Israeli uh, government's uh, uh, a purpose is to uh, control the whole West Bank and to steal the land of the Palestinians and the Palestinian territories uh, on the 67 borders. And I think it's uh, worth mentioning uh, that everyone is talking about Hamas charter, everyone is talking about uh, their mentality, but, but no one is talking about the Likud uh, charter. The Likud Charter says clearly that there is no hope for a Palestinian state. They don't accept a Palestinian state. They don't accept our presence. Uh, the, the best that they can do is to let us just live uh, in inside the West Bank until they uh, solve our problem, because we are a problem. They look at us as subhumans, as, as you know. And uh, the the last escalations in the West Bank is a big proof. Just last night, they they arrested 60 people. Five of them were women, and many of them were children. And most of these people, they go to prison, and they're not charged. No, they don't go to court, which is illegal by international law. And we agreed the last time that the, the Israeli slogan is illegal by international law because the international law does not mean anything to them. And to be honest, it doesn't mean anything to us. Uh, I don't want to hear anyone speaking about international law because it really doesn't make any difference, George. And we, we've seen that from the Israelis. The, uh, the, I supported the Oslo agreement. Uh, but maybe we can dispose of that in a sentence. It's dead now, isn't it? 
I mean, if you uh, talk to the young generation, they despise everyone who uh, contributed into the Oslo Accords. I think that uh, that's because we have been played by by the Israelis in the Oslo Accords. Because what happened is that we agreed on something, then they killed their prime minister who agreed on on that, uh, which is Ishaq Rabin, which is our criminal. But uh, to be honest, he he meant it when he uh, wanted to give the Palestinians. Uh, our own state, but uh, it's dead now, and and it's dead because in '96, if you remember, Netanyahu came into power for the first time as a prime minister, and he started with his uh, uh, long uh, project of building settlements to kill the two-state solution. So I don't think that there is a two-state solution anymore. If you look at the map and see how you know the cities of the West Bank, like Ramallah and Bethlehem, and all these cities, they they made us think that we are the settlements in in the Israeli land, not the other way around. They uh, completely uh, controlled 60 to 70 percent of of the land, and they have security control of the rest of of the land. So I don't think there is any hope for the uh, two-state solution anymore, except if you uh, pressure the Israeli government to withdraw totally uh, from the West Bank, the settlements, the checkpoints, the military occupation, and to uh, uh, open the the prison of of Gaza. Otherwise, there is no hope for any two-state solution. And on the principle that a surgeon cannot uh, uh, operate on his own foot, uh, and given the opinion poll figures that I gave at the beginning of the show, where 1.8% of the people in Israel think that Israel is going too far in Gaza, 1.8%. In fact, the largest number think that it's not going far enough. You cannot expect any of that to come from Israel. Therefore, it can only come from the world leaders uh, who are making these crimes possible. Isn't that right? The Western governments are totally complicit in what's happening. And to be honest, uh, I, I'm, I'm not uh, shocked. I want to say I'm shocked, but I'm not shocked by the numbers. Because if you look at the Israeli uh, uh, history of, of politics, we have never had uh, an Israeli prime minister that has been voted for that hasn't uh, that doesn't have a record of uh, war crimes. All of them. If you look at Ariel Sharon, Yehud Barak, uh, uh, Netanyahu, Ishaq Rabin, Shimon Peres, they all have blood on their hands. Palestinian children, blood on their hands. And I think that the Israeli people unfortunately enabled their, their uh, leaders uh, to feed them all the lies and the brainwash that they are getting uh, about the Palestinians. They all think that the Palestinians are the problem. They think that we want to kill them. They think all of these crazy things that I think you can see that they are familiar to the apartheid regime of, the, of South Africa, of the Irish people, of, of every single oppressed people that, that has been uh, in history. Because what you do is that you feed them with lies, you feed them with fear, you, you let them fear the other side, you, you dehumanize the other side to the point where you have less than 2%, as you mentioned, say that killing thousands and thousands of children in two months is not too is 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 too far. Only two percent. Like you, you, you have ninety eight percent of the Israeli people that think that it's okay to kill children. It's okay to kill women because their safety and this, their security comes from there. But if they learn anything from history, the the violence cycle will never end by that. It will never end by violence. It will end only by political solutions and by giving the Palestinian people our own state and our own independence. And that's how we will give them their security. Without that, we will keep resisting because it's only an, a, a human nature to resist the oppression. The let's look then at the other alternatives: uh, ethnic cleansing uh, of Gaza and of the West Bank require both Egypt and Jordan uh, to absorb uh, the uh, huge numbers, millions of Palestinians into their own states, in the, in the Egyptian case, uh, into the desert of Sinai. Uh, and secondly, it depends on the Palestinians actually going, leaving, running away as happened in the original Nakba. Now, I don't think that either of those two possibilities 
is there. I don't think Egypt or Jordan could afford to uh, open their gates for uh, refugees, millions of refugees. And I don't think that the Palestinians would agree to flee to these two countries. What's your view on that? My view is very clear. And I think the people, the brave people of Gaza has, has made it very clear, which is if we have two options, to die on our land or to leave, we're going to die on our land. And that's not an option. If you look at the Nakba and what happened in 1948 and the displacement of, of uh, 700,000 people, they are now 7 million people. And most of them are living in a very harsh conditions in, in many countries, in refugee camps and all of that. And they have no right to return. And this is the most important uh, point because... If we don't have a right to return to Palestine, I'm, I'm sure that Palestinians will feel that we have nothing to live for. What's what's the purpose of life if we can't uh, live in our home uh, homeland that have been uh, uh, our home for centuries and centuries? And I think that it's only arrogant. It's a white supremacist mentality. It's a colonial mentality to even discuss the displacement of the Palestinian people. They should be apologizing for the Palestinians for what ha- what they have been doing to us and the oppression that uh, has been practiced on us rather than to suggest such uh, ironic suggestions. It's not going to happen. We're not leaving even if anyone opens the borders. I don't think the Egyptians nor the Jordanians or any other country will open the borders um, because that would be the assassination of the Palestinian cause. And this cause will never die. We're staying in our land and we will have our freedom and our independence one day. Give my salam to your parents. Thank you for joining us again, Arab Barghouti, speaking uh, on behalf of the Palestinian people. Would that he was allowed to do so uh, on the so-called mainstream media. Lots of support for the Bargutis on YouTube. Nadia says, we love you, Barguti, and your entire family. Pittsburgh Dude 87 says, I feel so sad for this young man growing up without his father. May his father be released as soon as possible. Let me take a quick break. Stay tuned. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. You are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway. Jackson Hinkle is a bright star indeed, so much so that he'll be sitting in this chair on Wednesday when I cannot myself do the show. He's a stand-in extraordinaire and a great, great guest. Jackson, I want to start with uh, with the Joe Biden, Kamala Harris uh, ticket. They're looking into the chasm of a very great defeat as a result of their policy towards what's happening in Gaza, aren't they? A hundred percent. Thanks for having me on the show again. It's uh, it's really quite incredible. You can't get the majority of Americans to agree on just about anything. Uh, even if the sky is sunny and the clouds are cleared, there'd still be probably half of America that would tell you it's raining out. But when it comes to the issue of Gaza, well over half of America says that uh, what we need to do is call for a ceasefire. Sixty eight percent of Americans say that they don't support what Israel's doing right now. They support a ceasefire, yet we don't live in a democracy. We live in a uh, we live in this weird oligarchy controlled by banksters and the war companies. And that's why, even though we have so many Americans that agree on this, they are continuing to support Israel and they're continuing to use our taxpayer money to 
uh, fund the genocide and buy off all of the Arab Gulf states and uh, prevent them from really doing doing anything of substance to aid the Palestinian resistance. So, yeah, it is a campaign catastrophe. I don't really know what the what the alternative is at this point. I mean, I think you can say Trump is a lesser of two evils on a lot of issues. But when it comes to Israel, He's uh, they call him Zion Don for a reason. Right. He's he's made some interesting statements a few weeks ago, but I don't think his policies are going to be all that different. No. And in fact, we've got this weird, bizarre situation where the three leading candidates are in a kind of Dutch auction as to who's prepared to to sacrifice the most for Netanyahu, Robert Kennedy. Donald Trump and Joe Biden, you're bound to ask the question. I asked it at the beginning. Why? Why are these politicians so infatuated with a far off country, thousands of miles away, that most of them uh, have no interest in, in truth? Why are they ready to sacrifice even their own electoral prospects for it? Has Israel got something on them or what? That's a great question that I wish I knew the answer to. I've, like you, debated many Zionists, many Israeli government officials, even debated uh, Israeli spy last week on Twitter. And I always come back to that question. Why is it so important for the U.S. to dump out our our taxpayer base? Why is it so important to send all these weapons? Why is it so important? And this is one that really stumps them. Why is it so important for the United States and all these Western countries to offend the Arab states who are producing and control so much of the world's oil? Uh, It doesn't make any sense to me, but I I guess, yeah, I mean, it's a combination of blackmail. It's a combination of uh, these these government officials seeing Israel as a proxy and an even more um, sincere way than they saw Ukraine as a proxy against one of their other enemies, Russia. And um, I I just think you look at America today or you look at the UK today, the average Joe who's coming home from work at 5, 6 p.m., he's making dinner for his family. He doesn't care about whether or not we send another $14 billion to Israel. If anything, I think his life would probably be better if our governments chose to spend that money on our own citizens. But then again, We don't live in a country where our governments actually care about us. No, uh, but uh, as Dr. Johnson said, the knowledge that one is to be hanged in the morning concentrates the mind wonderfully. And Joe Biden's going to be hanged less than one year from now in an election. So do you think that the uh, confused messaging uh, from Dubai, uh, from the mouth of Kamala Harris, uh, means anything? She seemed to warn Israel that the United States, her word was absolutely will not permit the forcible relocation, the ethnic cleansing into the Sinai of the Gazan uh, population, which she then walked back today. Is this governmental confusion or just that Kamala Harris is an idiot? I think it's probably the latter. I don't think we've seen a single, uh, you know, administration in recent U.S. history that is filled with as many political gaffes day in and day out as the Biden-Harris administration. But what I do think is really interesting is right before we went live here, Al Jazeera reported that up to 70 percent of Israeli troops in the north of Gaza are currently withdrawing. And they said that this withdrawal began initially uh, in the midst of the ceasefire that took place for about a week, but has increased in pace uh, due to the resistance rockets that are firing on those Israeli soldiers. So, you know, we talked about this when when it began uh, closer to October 7th, that it was not going to be pretty for the Israeli soldiers going in there. They had limited training. Uh, they are not deeply patriotic to the land for obvious reasons. And they're going up against some of the some of the most patriotic people on the face of the planet, the Palestinian resistance, who've been preparing for this for years and who have created not, not by their own doing, but by the doing, I guess, of these Israeli bombings. They have this haven of sniperness of areas in which, you know, Viet Cong guerrilla warfare style fighting can thrive. 
And we all knew it was going to be really bad for the Israeli soldiers. And now we're beginning to witness it. So just like with Ukraine, we all ask the question. We know it's going poorly. How are they going to where, where's the political off ramp for the Western governments? How do they get out of this mess? I think we're now reaching a point in this war where government officials are having to ask that question again. Israel is a casualty averse or casualty phobic military. They don't like to get a lot of casualties whenever they get into a skirmish. And we've already seen a lot of them. So I think they're looking for an off ramp. Well, let's use that as a segue into uh, the forgotten war, uh, or at least the war they hope we'll forget. We committed suicide in Europe to follow Joe Biden uh, over the cliff over Ukraine. We beggared our own economies. We destroyed our energy security. We made ourselves slave to uh, American-supplied gas when we had a steady and much cheaper supply of Russian gas through the Nord Stream uh, pipelines and other uh, pipelines. We did all that. We gave, I've lost count, but it's scores of billions of dollars and euros uh, in military aid uh, to an army which is now almost in headlong retreat. It's perfectly possible uh, that the Ukrainian army will collapse uh, in the in the next days, if not hours, uh, having fought bravely over uh, many battles in Advika, the latest of those, uh, they have effectively now been overwhelmed. And it will be up to the Russians to decide how far they're going to advance. How are we going to explain that one away, Jackson? There's no explaining it away. Again, it's, it's the same thing. Right on February 24th, all the uh, conspiracy theorists, as they labeled us, all the Russian propagandists, turns out the Russian propagandists and conspiracy theorists have been right a lot recently. Uh, we all said, hey, look, you know, this is this is only going to end in one way and it's going to end however Russia wants it to end. And that was a grim reality for a lot of people in Western governments. But that was the stark truth. And now we're beginning to to witness it. I mean, the footage that uh, I know it's not in the press, it's not in the media, but the footage that we're seeing out of the battlegrounds in Avtievka, for, for example, right now, I mean, it is just some of the most gruesome looking fighting I've ever seen in my life. Um, I just saw that new Napoleon movie last night. It's not that good. I don't recommend anyone watch it. But in that movie, they, they focus a lot of time on the Battle of Austerlitz. And we all know that was horrific conditions when Napoleon fought the Russians there. And it was it was snowy, there was fog, it was horrible conditions, ice everywhere, probably the worst conditions you could fight a battle in. When I was watching the movie, I was like, am I watching the Ukraine war 2024 or am I watching Napoleon fight at Austerlitz? Because it really does look the same. And the Russians are taking an absolute and utter victory. And you're right, I, I have heard, again, that there's some sort of negotiations going on, backdoor negotiations between Ukraine and their you know, Western handlers and the Russians. And as we all expected, it's going to end with the annexation of uh, Ukrainian territory, or some people might refer to it as the liberation of territory. And it's gonna end with uh, Russia basically deciding the terms of how it ends. Yeah, and there's no explaining that. Uh, there's no explaining why we did all this to achieve uh, nothing at all. Uh, it's a bit like, and I saw you peerlessly make the point, that we spent 20 years and a trillion dollars or two trillion dollars uh, to put the Taliban back in power in Kabul. I mean, it's that level of military political yeah. disaster. Uh, and our media, of course, will never hold the politicians to account on that. In a sane world, all the talk shows would be saying to the uh, governmental leaders, but you told us we had to do this and that we were winning and that Hinkle and Galloway and the rest are all just uh, agents of Putin. These are Putin talking points. Turns out we were the ones that were right. Yeah, I mean, it. it, it is insane. It's like, you know, 
this other point's been made. We we've underestimated everyone. We underestimated Putin in Ukraine. We underestimated Russia and Syria when we funded all of our moderate rebels there. We underestimated the Taliban in Afghanistan. Uh, now we're looking at this Palestinian resistance, and I think again. We are underestimating what's happening there. No one ever learns. You said in a sane world, there'd be people in the press also explaining this information that is abundantly obvious. Well, in a sane world, we wouldn't have big pharma, massive corporations, the Wall Street hacks and the military industrial complex funding all of our media. We, we wouldn't have that, but that's what we have today. And that's why they say the things that they do, because if they happen to say, any of the truth, they would be fired immediately. Lastly, it's a bit of a, a bit esoteric, a bit of a in-house, but I, I, I think you'd have to have a heart of stone not to laugh at what's happened to Mehdi Hassan, the correspondent on MSNBC, who sold everything, whose tongue was coated in boot polish for all the corporate boots that he licked, all the principles and and previous positions that he abandoned only to get sacked because he's mildly critical of Israel on MSNBC that that's got to be the nadir of a of a US uh, journalism surely 100% you know and it, it people like Mehdi Hassan it, when they get forced out eventually for just putting forward a modem of truth a tiny bit of truth uh, they're going to have no audience. They're going to have no one that follows them. They're going to have no one that cares about what they do next if they try to launch some show on X because he's not a truth teller, as you put it. He uh, sucked the corporate boots for as long as he could to get his multi-million dollar shows. And what does he have left now? Nothing. But you look at Tucker Carlson, someone who pushed and shoved wherever he could to tell the truth. And people continue to follow him after the fact, regardless of what disagreements people might have with him. You have to respect that he did fight for the truth. So uh, I'm not surprised to see the news about Mehdi Hassan. And yes, I do find it absolutely hilarious. You think Tucker might end up on a ticket somewhere? He's actually far more eloquent uh, persuader uh, for uh, that brand of politics than anybody else, including Trump. Yeah, I'd love to see that. I, I love Tucker. I think, um, you know, when Donald Trump bombed Qasem Soleimani, which was, you know, an atrocious stain on his record in our country's history, uh, I think, you know, Tucker Carlson was the one going out on Fox News every night and pleading and begging with Trump and trying to reason with him not to start a full war with Iran. And he succeeded in that matter. So I think actually if Tucker hypothetically was a vice president, I think he would be probably the best, uh, you know, mainstream influence that anyone could have on a Trump presidency. Amen to that. Jackson, look forward to watching you in this spot on Wednesday. Thanks for joining us on the mother Thank of you. all talk shows. Uh, let's take some quick calls before the end of the show. Uh, the legend, Sarkar in Glasgow. On you go, Sarkar. Good evening, George. See, for the past few weeks, I've been really distressed with everything what is going on in the world. Mm. And I'll be honest, today when Keir Starmer plays Thatcher, believe me, I don't know what else can be done. I'll be honest, George, this is with regards to what I'm seeing in the Dutch elections. I'll be honest, I totally don't believe that a guy like Gert Wilders could win so many seats in Netherlands with his repugnant views and racist views. But I'll tell a small thing, George. You know what happened a year and a half ago? I was in Amstelveen. The so-called liberal politicians have told us farmers to stop farming. They kept on poking the uh, normal working class people in their eyes to such an extent that when you stop people from living their lives the way they do, they automatically get attracted to a right-wing party. It's reflected in Italy. It's reflected in Netherlands. They told farmers to stop farming. So why? Because of some climate change agenda. Now, this man, who, believe me, is nothing short of, you know, insanity, this Gert Wilders guy, think of the plight of those common men who feel when our own politicians are mocking us, poking us in the eye, they lecture every other country on democracy, go and bomb every other country, but our own working class people, they tell them, you cannot do this, you cannot drive your car this way. These people automatically are attracted to a right-wing party. And 
I'll be honest, I'm not surprised that La Pen, Orban, Meloni, all of them congratulated them. This is all a mistake of our stupidity of all the Western so-called liberal governments who are obsessed with genders and everything, but have forgotten the plight of the common man. This is a very scary trend, George. Believe well, me, I, I, look, uh, I, couldn't, uh, I couldn't put it better than that, uh, certainly not more passionately than that. Uh, this is a measure of the collapse of the center the collapse of so-called social democracy, the collapse of liberalism, which has comprehensively failed, which has pursued uh, the, the fool's gold uh, of wokery uh, to the point that they have broken themselves. The social democrats in Italy were defeated by Meloni. The social democrats in the Netherlands were defeated by Wilders. Uh, the Social Democrats in France will be defeated uh, by Le Pen. Uh, the Social Democrats in uh, Germany will be defeated by the AFD. Except in Germany, there is a hope that Sarah Wagenkecht and her new party, offering a radical uh, but not liberal uh, socialist alternative, uh, may uh, be able to stem the tide, but but Schultz is a dead duck. He's currently at twelve percent in the national opinion polls. Bonkers, Baerbock on thirteen uh, percent. The Green uh, leader. Social democracy has completely failed, and worse than failed, it has pursued these idiotic wild goose chases net zero, rip out your boiler, scrap your car, even though I'll fly on an aircraft all the way to Dubai to talk about why you should eat bugs, why you should scrap your motor car, why you have to rip out your boiler and replace it with a less efficient uh, heat pump, why you need to get used to living colder in the winter, why you need to de-industrialize, why you need to become a post-industrial society, that's what they're doing right now in Dubai. These social democrats, with their pursuit of greenery, quackery, wokery, have driven their population mad. And now their politics is a dirty word in Europe. People despise it because they know that it represents everything that they are not and the things that they do not believe in. And unless there's an alternative, as I hope to be in Britain, as Sarah is in Germany, unless there's an alternative, of course, people like Wilders, Le Pen, the AFD will come to power. It'll be change, but it'll be change even for the worse in many cases. But you could hardly blame people for taking the opportunity of change. David is in Swindon. Let's hear from him. Go ahead, David. Oh, no, I've only got three minutes. Yeah, I want to take you back to about four weeks ago when you mentioned the United Nations. And my comment is, United Nations, what is it good for? Absolutely nothing. You mentioned if the United Nations was a golf club. Do you remember? Yeah. And Israel and America were members. They would have been kicked out by now. Yeah. They're cheats and liars. What I'm trying to say is the United Nations needs to grow some and split. It needs to split along the rule-based order countries, which is about 2 billion people, and the others, which is about 6 billion. Okay. And the only way this is going to get... The only way this is going to get sold... I I agreed with it then. I agree with it now. Uh, It's a question of the modalities of how that happens. And I believe that BRICS and the Shanghai Cooperation organization are the rudiments of what will be, what will become a new United Nations. Go ahead. Last word. Away from the dollar, the pound, the euro pound dollar, the oil mm. dollar. Mm. And we need a split. I would, I would, I said to you, I would gladly pay 20 pound a litre for petrol if it meant that Richie Sunak gave in. The only way we're going to do this is economic. We need like the Straits of Hormuz, we need an oil crisis to solve this. Okay, 
David, thanks uh, for the call. Uh, do call back again. We'll prioritize your call as you didn't get much time. But I have to have the legend Norma in Bristol as our last caller. Go ahead, Norma. Hello, George. Um, you give us so much to think about. And I do wonder why, like you say, why, why is this all allowed to happen? But listening to Simon from Florida made me think. And it's only my fault. But I've just come to the conclusion that power and money only matter. Forget about the genocide. They don't care. That was no, my they thought. They don't, Norma. They're demonic, uh, frankly. Lloyd Austin is a demonic uh, figure straight out of central casting. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and uh, so is Starmer, you know. Uh, yeah. I, I feel particularly about him because he's supposed to be the leader of the opposition. He's supposed to be the leader of a so-called Labour Party. But mainly because I know that he doesn't even believe in it. Because I've heard him just a few mm -hmm. short years ago say the absolute opposite. He's a liar and a hypocrite. Mm -hmm. and, 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 and I'm determined to beat him, Norma. Go ahead. Yeah. Last word. Yeah, but I was... No, I know. I, I know what you're saying. Actually, I think he's got um, very big connections to um, Israel with his wife and family. But if you don't get PR, and I hope that one day we will, but we won't and soon, not for a while, um, these small parties would have got seats and we would have got, got them in the future. But they, we won't, you see. And it's Nothing seems to come right yeah. nowadays. Well, we, we won't until we will. You see, big parties can become small uh, very quickly. Uh, in my lifetime, PASOK, uh, the Papandreou uh, Socialist Party, was uh, the governing party, the party of government in Greece. And now it doesn't exist. In my lifetime, the Socialist Party in France, the party of Mitterrand, uh, the party of Hollande uh, and of uh, Strauss-Kahn uh, and these kind of figures was regularly in power in the Elysee with a majority in the National Assembly. And now, they're, now they scarcely exist. They scarcely register on the radar. So big parties can become small and small parties can become big. Wilders was once a, a one-man band. Now is the top of the heap in the Netherlands. Uh, small parties can become big. Big parties can become small. If everybody that wants change votes for change, will get change. But if they say fatalistically that there's no point that these demons rule the world and will continue to rule the world when they well they will continue to rule the world. We've got a chance in 2024 to vote them out in London, in the UK, in the United States. It's up to all of us to make sure that we do everything that we can to make it happen. Norma, thank you as always uh, for uh, your call and thank you, the audience, uh, for uh, being with me on what I hope you will agree was an important, if not momentous, uh, day in which we reflected on uh, the biblical Old Testament genocide and slaughter of the innocents that we have all been watching. And I hope I have left you with the belief that something can be done about it. It is being done by the Palestinians who are resisting it, and it must be done in the Western countries that are making these crimes possible. I can't tell you how angry I am that the Royal Air Force that saved us in 1940, in 1941, in the Battle of Britain, those pilots, those uniforms, those British aeroplanes that fought fascism and without whom fascism would have prevailed and ruled us. That same air force 
is this day flying over Gaza, providing space, spying data to the killers in Tel Aviv, the killers in Netanyahu's cabinet. I can't tell you just how much that hurts me. Thanks very much uh, for watching. 18,213 people voted. Most of you think that only Biden can stop this. And uh, the next most uh, would be, I'm afraid it's polar opposite, that it won't be stopped at all and that it will end in genocide if Netanyahu is allowed to carry it out. I'll not be here on Wednesday, but Jackson Hinkle will be in my stead. I hope that you will tune in at the later time of 9 p.m. UK time to hear Jackson Hinkle and the inimitable mother of all talk shows. Thanks for watching.